Hello, welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thanks for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices. You can find me on Twitter or X, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please take a second and drop a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you can share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can also help support the Cubs PS Plus podcast by going to cubspsplus.patreon.com. There are four support tiers that come with added perks, and your support will help me keep this podcast ad-free. Welcome into episode 55 the Coy Hill episode of this podcast. We're still just a little bit less than a week removed from the Cubs being eliminated from the playoffs, and it still stings. What happens next? Well, we enter a long offseason thinking about what was almost in the grasp. Uh, We're not feeling it as much as the Cubs players in front office are, but I think we're all feeling it together. In this episode, I want to kind of recap the end of the season, and I want to talk about the idea of blame. Who should be blamed? What does blame mean in the baseball sense? And what should happen as blame is assigned? Where do we go from here? So let's talk it out. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. The last time I recorded, the Cubs were heading in their last series against the Brewers, hanging on the fringe, trying to get back into the playoff race. And they they needed a lot of things to go right. And obviously we know that those things did not go right last weekend. The Cubs... Lost the first two games to the, or lost the first game to the Brewers, won the second game to stay alive, but then, you know, Miami didn't lose enough for the Cubs to sneak back in. So it's another season without the playoffs. And it's been about a week. I've had some time to kind of decompress and think about things. Um, I decided to stay on my routine schedule as opposed to posting an instant reaction. And I'm sure a lot of you have gotten some of the feedback from other places. So I know at the end of the season, there was, um, Obviously, a sense that this team didn't do enough, and they didn't. They were in really good playoff position a couple weeks ago. They were mid-September after that Giants series. The Cubs were like 92% playoff odds for from fan graphs, and they were in really good position. They had it all in front of them. Now, they have to give the Diamondbacks some credit. The Cubs played the Diamondbacks seven times after that point, and the Diamondbacks won six of those games. And that's just how it went. Like The Cubs didn't get it done on the field. And it wasn't even that they were not competitive. They were very competitive. The Cubs were giving up leads left and right. That Brave series, the Cubs just gave up lead after lead after lead. And there's a lot of reasons for it. And one of the big things I've seen in the weeks since the season ended is the idea of blame. And so that's what I want to talk about today. Um, this isn't where I hoped the season would go. But looking back, you know, there was a lot of good this season. You know, the Cubs discovered Julian Merriweather off the scrap heap, uh, claiming him off waivers from Toronto last offseason. The Cubs had just saw Justin Steele build on what he did in the end of 2021, and even though he didn't finish as strong as I think any of us would have liked, or the, certainly that he wouldn't have liked, you know, he was a legitimate Cy Young candidate, finished with a three ERA, his peripherals back up exactly how good he looked on the field. They had good seasons, a great rebound season from Cody Ballinger. They had growth from Nico Horner had a strong year. Dansby Swanson came in and despite all the talk about him being sort of the fourth of the big four shortstops last year, 
you look at their seasons as one season and Dansby Swanson had pretty much the best one of the four. So the Cubs did some things right. They put themselves in position. There were some disappointments. Eric Hosmer and Trey Mancini never really hit the way the Cubs thought they might. Tucker Barnhart didn't really deliver the depth that the Cubs had hoped for. Um, Jamison Tyone was a disappointment for a good chunk of the year. Started off really slowly. Now, in the end, his second half numbers look pretty good. I think he's a guy who's very self-reflective. He's very open about his process. Brendan Miller and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. He's a guy who's willing to, even publicly, you know, in an interview with the press, break down what it is he's working on, what he's going through, what he has to fix. And he's a guy who I think will fix some of the issues he had. He's, he's had a mechanical flaw leading to a lot of arm side run on his four-seam fastball, which made both his fastball and his cutter less effective this year. His slider was very good. His curveball was good. I think there's plenty of reason to think that he's going to be back to being the Jamison Tyone and the Cubs expected to sign by next offseason. But that didn't help us in a season where the Cubs missed the playoffs probably by realistically two games. And you look back across the season, we can look at certain drops. We can look at situations in big games towards the end of the season where guys weren't driven in. We can go back to May and look at games, a bullpen that wasn't on solid footing to start the season, you know, gave up games there. You know, in a season of 162, they all matter. It's not quite as big on a per game basis, obviously, as like the NFL where you play 17 games. But, you know, in the end, if you're going to play a lot of close games, you're going to be tight in the standings. You're going to be fighting for a close playoff race. Every game matters. So when it comes down to the idea of blame, you know, I tend to look at things as what were the reasons? I want to know why things broke down, why things failed, or on the flip side, why things succeeded. And I think when you get to the end of a season like this, it's very easy. You know, the, the Cubs just missed the playoffs. The Cubs just collapsed down the stretch. And we want our pound of flesh. You know, we want to have, whether it's a scapegoat or whatever, we want to have something or someone to point to and that that is why that didn't happen. That is why I don't get to watch Cubs playoff baseball. The reality is there's not any one thing, but let's talk through the idea of blame. The first person to get blame is always the manager. Simple. Every sport, football, basketball, hockey, baseball, a team is perceived as underperforming and there's an idea of blame. And that blame immediately goes to the coach because the coach makes the lineups. The coach makes the substitution decisions. The coach sets the strategy on and on and on. And while that's true, and David Ross is still a growing manager, and I don't think it's worth getting into whether or not I think he should or shouldn't be fired. Um, I, my opinion is should not. Or I don't think he was bad enough to warrant being fired. But at this point, Tom Ricketts has spoken. Jed has spoken. It's very clear that unless something drastic changes from what they've said, that they're not going to fire David Ross this offseason. So spending a lot of time and energy discussing whether he should or shouldn't is just kind of wasted breath. So I'm not going to go there. But the idea of blame, it goes on the manager because it's easy. There's That's the front face. Also, when there's something that's disappointing, you have options. If somebody has to go, I guess let's, let's back this up. So the idea of blame. So we can put blame on things. You know, a particular game might be lost because a player didn't make a play in the field. 
I'll use the the Seiya Suzuki catch against the Braves. Number one, if he makes that catch, there's no guarantee they win the game because the Cubs still have to hold the lead in the ninth, and that's something they showed that week that they were absolutely no kind of lock to do. But, so, okay, we say it's Seiya's fault in that game. Or we look at a game where maybe, maybe the Cubs lose big because a starter got ripped for seven runs in the first two innings and the team just got hopelessly behind. Okay, it is that pitcher's fault the Cubs lost that game. It is Trey Mancini in May having a game, and I'm just pulling this out thin there, so this isn't a specific game I'm referencing, but came up multiple times with multiple guys in scoring position, went 0 for 3, did not advance runners, did not make productive outs, did not get runs in. And that's the reason why the Cubs lost that game. You can go through that over the course of 162 and place a lot of blame in a lot of places. So once you identify the blame, then then the so what happens? Okay. So maybe you believe that this season is on Jed Ross. Or Jed Ross. Yeah, Jed Ross, indeed, right? Um, Jed Hoyer and David Ross. But let's say you put this season on squarely on David Ross. Okay. Then what? Like a player makes a bad play in the field. You know, say it misses that fly ball. It doesn't mean you're going to cut him. You know, it means that's going to get addressed going forward. And that's just baseball being a game of failure. It's one thing I teach the kids I coach. You know, I'm working with a 14U team this year and we're struggling in some cases adjusting to the big field. The team as a whole is doing okay. We've got some talented players and some guys who are newer to the game and certainly. I've got some 14s who have already played on the big field for a year, and I've got some 13s who, you know, were still playing 46-60 ball last spring. And it's an adjustment, but what I'm constantly stressing with the kids is baseball is a game of failure. You're not going to make every catch. You know, the best hitters in the world fail 70% of the time. If you want to factor walks in and OBP, you know, the the best hitters in the world fail 55% of the time. It's still more than half. And it's how you deal with that failure that I think makes makes the difference. You see some teams, sometimes the team is just not talented. This year's Oakland A's, I couldn't begin to measure what they maybe should have won or shouldn't have won, but the roster they rolled out on opening day, they were not competing for anything. The Kansas City Royals were not competing to win anything. Um, but you look at other teams that were competing to win, and you can get off to a bad start. And in some cases, the team sort of falls apart. You know, the guys bicker they're fighting over jobs guys kind of quit give up on the season that really does happen that happens probably a little too often with the Cubs it hasn't in the last three seasons with David Ross the Cubs have hit rough patches and they've always battled back you know they they had some real rough patches before the sell-off in 2021 they had that 11 game losing streak that really triggered the end of the old core and they had some more struggles, obviously, once those guys were gone. But that team also still put together, I think it was an 11-game winning streak late in 2021. And the 2022 season was largely over before it started for the Cubs, given a huge amount of pitching injuries in the first half on a roster that, at its absolute best with all the luck in the world, was probably only ever going to be maybe a touch over 500, if literally everything went right. Um but that team battled. He never lost that clubhouse. Those guys were better in the second half than they were in the first half. And then this year with a team that was expected, well, I can't say expected. I think a lot of us, I predicted 83 wins. That's where they wound up. Um, a lot of Cubs people looking at this closely saw potential for kind of what the Cubs were this year. 
but a lot of the projection systems, Fangraphs, uh, Pocota, Zips, a lot of those had the Cubs 76 to 80 wins, mostly centered around 77, 78 wins. So with that expectation, you know, the Cubs got off to an okay start. They looked pretty decent in April. 14, 13, you know, they weren't running away with anything, but like, all right, this team can compete. Then in May, you know, they went 10 and 18. And when you're then, you know, they struggled also going into early June, culminating with that getting swept in L.A. by the Angels. At that point, the Cubs were, I think they were eight and a half out of first place in the division, and they were 12 under 500. It was 10 under 500. Um, but at that point, they were kind of reeling. That would have been an easy point for a veteran team with a bunch of guys, you know, trying to do their own thing, compete for contracts to kind of split and have everything just kind of go off the rails. But it didn't. And so when you look at the idea of blame, who who am I giving credit or debit for on this season? You, know, you have to look at the totality. And I think David Ross has to get some credit for keeping things together. I mean, he kept that team together, kept the locker room together. Jed gets credit for assembling or Jed in the front office, get credit for assembling a team full of, you know, quality guys who were willing to dig in and, you know, stay together, keep that locker room tight and battle back. And they wound up going on a couple month run. That was a ton of fun. I think we all enjoyed it. So when you look at blame, you have to kind of look at the whole thing. I've seen, I mean, you go on Twitter, you see kind of every opinion, but I've seen people say that, David Ross directly cost them 20 games. I mean, that's just not that's just not living in the real world. If you're saying he cost them 20, then there are probably other games he won because otherwise you're making the argument that this was a you know a 105 true talent team, and it's just not. Um, this this team's peak was probably 90 92 wins, which is about where the Brewers finished. So you know, had the Cubs been a little bit better in the margins, picked up some of those things. Maybe didn't lose Stroman for the second half of the season. Didn't lose Bellinger for a month. You know, maybe, maybe they do finish closer to 90 wins. But so with the blame, so with the blame, then so what? So the Cubs could fire Ross. That's certainly, that would certainly be an option. But the way front offices and teams operate today, you know, you have the, the whoever's the head, and they, they use different titles. The Cubs have a president of baseball operations, which is Jed Hoyer. And then Carter Hawkins is the general manager. Some teams, I think, still use general manager for that top-level position. Some don't. But anyway, there's a there's a header at the top with a kind of a core group of guys you – well, not even just guys. we got Kim Ng, um, so I need to start changing my language. But a core group of people at the top of every organization that kind of set the tone and kind of run the front office. Then you've got everything from you know the pitching side and the hitting side and the strength and conditioning side – Teams have strength and conditioning coaches. I've had David De Silva on talking about the Cubs' strategy there. Uh, Mark Weissman for strength and conditioning. And then you've got the minor league system. And the way teams operate today is a little bit different than the past. In the past, you had the major league team focused on the major league roster. Um, maybe the whole organization was fixated in on some of the top prospects, but until you know mid-2010s, development was kind of seen as an ancillary piece. You know, you want to do it well, you want to have a good minor league system, but I think really the, you know, you read Ben Lindbergh's book, I had him on earlier this summer, talking about his book, The MVP Machine. That push in baseball development really became a huge competitive advantage for a while. And now I think it's basically table stakes. If you don't have a good player development system, you're not going to be able to compete. 
and so all of these things work together now. And, and I think most teams, their goal is to have, while everybody operates in different ways, you know, you look at the Atlanta Braves, they have a core young players they brought in developed. They've locked most of them up long-term. They play largely the same lineup every single day. Um, and it works for them. The Dodgers have traditionally been heavier on pitching. They are more willing to bring in a big free agent from the outside, spend money and, but whatever they do, they have a cohesive organization. And so at this point, even if Jed Hoyer decided that David Ross was not the manager, there's a framework. There's analytics team. There's baseball science. I've had Mike Son on this podcast, uh, Cubs baseball scientist. And so David Ross is existing within that collaborative effort. So people are getting him data. Jed and Carter and, and David Ross talk reg on a regular basis. The Cubs are trying to have a cohesive plan, developing guys through the minor league system all the way from the Arizona Complex League up through Myrtle Beach and South Bend and Tennessee and Iowa so that guys are getting consistent coaching, consistent work, consistent messaging all the way up through the system, both on the hitting side and the pitching side. You know, we got Craig Breslow running the pitching infrastructure for the Cubs. Tommy Hadovy is very heavily involved. Um, plenty of other guys who are involved in everything from pitch design to, you know, conditioning and building up arms and deciding on workloads and just all of that stuff that goes into it. And so it's not just David Ross showing up every day, picking nine guys out of the air, making a lineup and deciding who's going to pitch. It's a collaborative effort to look at who matches up well with the, the pitcher they're going to face that day. What bullpen arms are the Cubs likely to see if the game's close? You're starting to plan ahead for, we're going to see, you know, Corbin Burns. And then if it's a close game, we're going to see Pamps. And then they're probably going to go to Devin Williams. So you start kind of lining up your lineup to face all of them. And you've got your ideas of, okay, they bring in Pamps. We're in this situation. We might go to the bench and, you know, sub out this hitter for this other hitter. And so all that is happening collaboratively before the game. They review actions after the game. Um, so if David Ross goes, then that tells me one of two things. That tells me that he was not on the same page with the front office. Or that they just want to make a change to make a change. And I think at this point, it's been made abundantly clear that they're largely on the same page. And Jed has said that there are arguments between the two, but there's always going to be. And he said that, like, you're always going to have arguments with your manager. Bunting is one example. Jed doesn't like the bunting. If David Ross continues bunting too much, who knows? That could wind up getting him fired. Now, one thing to keep in mind is he, David Ross is under contract for 2024 with a team option for 2025. So next year might be kind of a prove it year. You know, it's been hard to evaluate his on-field management style um, for the last couple of years. Ever since the sell-off, he's had a non-competitive roster basically so get to a point in the season where you're out of the race it's now less about what's the optimal lineup with the guys i have to win this game today there's, there's some of that that goes into it but it's also i want to see you know last year if rafael ortega is a major league player is frank schwindel really what we saw at the end of 2021 or was that a small sample size aberration proved it was an aberration but they saw those things through. And even within, you know, guys who are playing, okay, I think this guy is a legitimate player. Can he do, can he handle the leadoff position? 
can he bat third? Um, what happens if I put this guy ninth? And in the bullpen, you know, started working on a little bit less about the actual game situation itself and started seeing more like, can Brandon Hughes pitch two innings and come back two days later? Can Brandon Hughes pitch three straight days? Can Keegan Thompson tighten up his recovery window and throw three innings and still come back after two days rest? You know, we start started seeing things like that, finding out what these guys could do, what their limitations were, ro- what roles they were comfortable succeeding in. And so evaluating Ross as a manager, as a winning manager, was really hard because that's just not what they were. The second half of 2022, second half of 2021, that's just not what they were doing. So it came in this year and, you know, some worked, some didn't. Um, I think fans naturally kind of assume, hey, it was a win. Everything was good. Players did a great job today. Team lost. Manager sucks. You know, there's a little bit too much of that. Um, Managers often don't get a ton of credit for, you know, putting in a workable lineup. Sometimes he did put in, you know, he did put in some subs, you know, when the last week or so he had played miles master Boney and you know over the stretch of about four games master Boney hit you know over 400 it was just a good run but i think there are some things that david ross can take away and learn from this season so the question is um what do you do with that blame i think the blame it's either fireball it's not the cups have decided it's not so where from here and i think there are going to be some things i don't know what their internal discussions are outwardly from where i sit i want to see a little bit more balance. I think it's clear that the Cubs had a number of guys rack up career highs in plate appearances, games played, innings pitched, appearances, you know, relief appearances, starts, things like that, which is natural growth. I mean, Justin Steele has been upping his workload every year. And I think part of the fade at the end of the season was he went over 150 innings and has never done that before. You know, he was past his career high in innings, I think, in either late August or early September. And you look at the bullpen, and some of those guys hadn't pitched a ton. Julian Merriweather had never been in the bigs for a whole season. Um, Mark Leiter Jr. has never made as many appearances as he made this year, not even close, partly because he used to be a starting, kind of bounce back and forth between starting pitcher and swing man. But he had just never been in that role for a whole season. Adbert Azale has had a ton of injuries, and he had pitched – more than he had ever pitched before, which again is, is growth. That's what the Cubs wanted. They, he came on, looked pretty good at the end of last season and you knew the season was going to stretch him to the max and it did. But one of the things that comes with that is figuring out when to get rest. And I think that's something that hopefully David Ross has learned some things from. Hopefully the whole Cubs organization has learned some things from, I think, Given the talent they had, and I'll get to Jed here in a little bit, and we'll talk about him next, but when you look at the team that roster, the roster that Ross was given, there are ways to try to expand the talent level you have. You know, one thing David Ross did during that long run that the Cubs had is he stuck really hard to Mark Leiter Jr., Michael Fulmer, Julian Merriweather and Edward Azale. And that's fine to a point. It got them a lot of wins. Um, those guys were hot. They were pitching really, really well. They pretty much answered the call. If one of them struggled, another one would come in and pick them up. But they trusted those guys a little bit too much, leaned on them too much. And I think what 
looking back, what probably should have happened is, you know, after the 4th of July, Daniel Palencia is up and he probably needed to get a few more leverage spots. Maybe they call up Luke Little earlier. Maybe they take some of those other guys in the pen, Michael Rucker, some of the other ones. And even though they had failed in the past, I think to some extent you have to keep kind of giving them those, maybe not high leverage and maybe not bringing them in tie game in the eighth or, you know, to, to get a save in the ninth, but maybe in the sixth inning when the starters starting to falter and you got to come in with, you know, two guys on and one out to get out of that jam, they needed to go try to get some other guys. And maybe with a larger sample size, maybe nobody turns around, but the more guys go through those situations, the more they understand what it takes to get guys out, the more they learn what failed them and give them new things to focus on to improve. I think probably had they done that, the Cubs would have had a few more losses in June and July, but then maybe they spend the back half of September with a healthy Michael Fulmer, with a healthy Adbert alive, and they're all probably still at their maybe career high in innings, but they can still be effective because they hadn't been totally abused before then. And if not, then you know maybe they wind up in the same spot, and maybe that is just the actual talent of the roster that the Cubs had this year. But I think that's critical. I think on the offensive side, you know, Dansby Swanson and Nico Horner both were close to 700 play appearances. I think it's pretty clear watching Dansby Swanson that he was kind of running on fumes the last week, week and a half, maybe the last two weeks. Once he came back from injury on July 22nd, he did not miss another game. And I think there are opportunities. I know he had missed a month, so you're not, you know, he doesn't maybe doesn't need a ton of rest right away unless his injury is still kind of nagging. But I think giving him a game off every couple of weeks, you know, he's a guy who's played a lot in his career and he's been successful. But I think back to when I was a kid, I grew up during Cal Ripken's Iron Man streak. Super impressive. It's amazing you can play that long. He managed to dodge serious injury. Um, but at the same time, there were some seasons he had where I know he got a lot of criticism, probably rightfully so, from Orioles fans that thought he wasn't as good as he could have been because of the fatigue, the mental and physical fatigue of playing 162 games year after year after year after year. And I think there's really something to that. And it might be the mental fatigue as much as anything. I mean, these guys are all in the prime of their physical shape at, you know, 25, 26, 27. Um, the oldest guys on the team are 32. I wish I had my, you know, 32-year-old uh, energy back. But it's a toll. They pile up bumps and bruises. You get in a slump. You get in your head a little bit. And sometimes you just need that reset. I mean, look at, say, a Suzuki. Like, he started the season injured, came on. Frankly, I think he hit the ball hard most of, most of the season. But he got to a point where he was had gotten really passive at the plate. I mean, he was almost like a kid looking for a walk. Like he was so fine and he was taking a lot of hittable pitches and they took him out of the lineup for almost a week and it got him some rest. But I think more than anything else, it gave him a chance to work on some things on the side and kind of mentally refocus. And he came back a much more aggressive hitter. And I think that made a huge difference. I mean, his numbers in the second half are outstanding. And if he has that kind of season next year, he's going to be among the better hitters in baseball. And so I think guys can get value from those little breaks. And I think just taking, you know, one thing I'm a, I'm a big proponent of, if you got somebody who plays a lot, Dansby Swanson is probably always going to play a lot. If he's healthy, he's going to want to play 162. 
he should probably pet play 150 to 155. You know, certainly a day off every month. And maybe a couple when you get to the heat and the dog days. And just take advantage of some of those chances. Like when you have an off day, give him, sit him down the day before or the day after. It doesn't need to be like the old John, Joe Madden lineups where, you know, basically he'd empty the bench for the getaway day. You know, I, I'm not a big believer in that. I think you do want to have continuity. But there's no reason that, uh, you know, Nico and Dansby and Hap and Suzuki can't all sit once every couple weeks. Once a week, once every couple weeks. That gives you, you know, two to four off days a month. And over six months, that's, you know, 20-ish games. And maybe then in September, maybe you don't, Take much rest in September. If the Cubs are fighting to the to the bitter end for playoff spot or for a division championship, or for one of those two buys to get you out of the wild card round, maybe Dansby doesn't sit. But by giving him the rest along the way, I think it makes it more likely that he's going to be successful and the player he's capable of being down the stretch. So that's an area where I I want Ross to to get better. I want him to. Take advantage of his bench. We went through huge stretches where Luis Torrens and Edwin Rios and Miles Mastroboni and Alexander Canario at the end of the season, like Nelson Velasquez earlier in the season, like these guys just never played. And I think if you're gonna if you're gonna carry twenty six guys, you should use twenty six guys. And it's I talked about it a few weeks ago, but it's it's very hard for those bench guys to step up when you need them because a guy got hurt or because you now are in a pinch hitting situation in a key game when you haven't had an bat in two weeks, you know, keep those guys fresh, get them. Everybody in your bench probably should start once a week. You know, it doesn't mean that, you know, if miles master Boney is your 13th guy on the, on the offensive roster and he's your utility player and he's there to have, bring some speed, be a defensive replacement, you know, pinch hit on occasion, spot start. He should probably get one start in the field every week just to get reps and see pitches and do those things. Same with Patrick Wisdom. Um, you know, Personally, we'll talk more about roster construction. Patrick Wisdom is probably a guy that doesn't really fit on this roster going forward. I think they need a different profile player. Hopefully they can get more power in the starting lineup. But if he's on the roster, he needs to play. You know, we did see that catcher kind of forces the issue a little bit because catchers just can't go 162. So we saw a little bit more Tucker Barnhart than we would have liked. Um, but that's what the backup catcher is there for. So I want to see Ross play more guys, get guys more rest, be a little bit more consistent there, be willing to take a young guy and put him in a new role. We've seen that over the last season plus, but there was no pressure in doing so. You know, if you want to see what, if this had been like 2022 and the Cubs were you know, hopelessly out of the playoffs by October or by September, then PCA and Canario probably do come up. Assuming they do come up, they're just in there to start every day. And that's really the point Ross was making with that unfortunate, like playing the guys who got us here quote that was, I think it was phrased awkwardly and then taken poorly. Um, But the point was we're in games that matter I can't just go plug in a rookie and let him go. And like we saw that with PCA, he was 
Finished over 14 with a few walks. He did have an RBI, a couple sacrifices, um, some good, some bad on the bases, some good, some bad on defense. But that's a situation where if PCA makes this roster to start next season, he's the starting center fielder opening day. He's going to get some leash. He's going to get 100 plate appearances, unless it's really, really bad. He's going to get time to adjust and play every day and make adjustments and figure out how to hit major league pitching. He's done that at every level. If you go back and look at his stats on baseball reference or fan graphs, you're going to see that every time he moves up a level, he struggles for a week or two. Um, some guys struggle for a month. He only struggles for you know a week or two, 20, 25 at-bats. And then he starts turning it around. Now, there are some longer-term concerns with him. He's got a 30% strikeout rate in the minors, and you know that's probably to be discussed at another point. But the point is he's moved up, played, figured it out, moved up, struggled, played, and figured it out. This pennant race was just not a time to be able to just plug him in center field and let him figure it out. Like He was totally overmatched by fastballs. I think he was pressing. He was The longer that hitless streak went, the more I'm, I'm sure he's up there trying to get that first hit. And But, you know, they did mix Canario in some. They should have mixed him in more. But, like, take these young guys that are coming up through the system and get them in a little bit. You know, even in 2015, 2016, we started seeing Contreras and Schwarber. And Chris Bryant was a little bit different level. He came up, and if they hadn't manipulated the service time, he would have been the opening day starter in 2015. But, you know, we saw Contreras come up for a couple weeks at a time to if somebody went on the injured list. And he would play. And then go back down when the start when the regular guy came back. Kyle Schwarber was up and would play and have some success and then go back down. Ian Happ came up and went back down. You know, that's okay. That's a fine path of development. Like you can develop into a good player doing that. And so as the Cubs get more of this talent to rise to the triple A level, when the big club is struggling, you know, those guys can be some bench material, you know. Assuming you've got the 40-man space that so they're already on the 40-man roster, bring a guy up for two, three weeks. Maybe he doesn't play every single day, but you know, get get him some work, see where things stand. Guy comes back from injury or the player's struggling, you know, send him back down for more time in Iowa. And I think that's something they can really use going forward now that there's so much of their minor league system getting, you know, really ready for showtime at the uh, top level. So those are the big things I want to see from Ross. You know, you play the young kids, and he he has done it some. I mean, they brought Wicks up and threw him right in the rotation in a playoff spot. They have used Javier Assad, you know, in big spots. Maybe he hasn't had quite the role some people might have liked, but Javier Assad has been effective as a short guy out of the bullpen, as a long guy out of the bullpen, as a spot starter. Um, it's just a talented arm they've been able to throw kind of wherever they want. You know, they, they did use some Jeremiah Estrada early in the season. They did go to Daniel Palencia, which they had done a little bit more. But he hasn't shown a complete unwillingness to play young players. He just gets stuck. And I think some of this season was they were playing so many close games. I think in an ideal world, you know, some of the losses and the wins are by bigger margins. So you're not literally playing, you know, one and two run games to the ninth inning like almost every day. Which allows you to sub in a little bit more. But you just have to do it. Over the course of 162, you just have to do it. You learn things about some of the kids. You know, Maybe you're afraid that they're going to screw up. But you know, maybe they come in and just 
show you something. You know, Christopher Morrell made his big splash, you know, pinch hitting in a game where the Cubs were out of it. Or no, they were ahead that day. But it, the game was not in doubt. He just got to come in and hit a home run in his first major league at bat. Brandon Hughes made his debut in the same game, pitched two innings and uh, struck out five. You know, sometimes guys step up. And then you got to work with that and try to grow them into the role. And, you know, if, if you hit a point where early in the season you think you have a bullpen of, you know, four guys that you can trust, you know, work hard. See if you can get um, a fifth guy or a sixth guy into that rotation. It's just going to make you that much deeper, that much more versatile. Um, and it may cost you some games early in the season, but hopefully you learn from it. Guys can grow and that makes you a better team at the end of the season. On the front office side, you know, Jed has been pretty self-reflective. He's owned, you know, some of the flaws this year. The some of the flaws, the, probably the biggest flaw for me is the roster was just not deep enough. Um, you look down the batting order. I saw a lot of complaints all season about Ian Happ batting third, and maybe he shouldn't have been batting third. I don't think he's really a three-hole hitter on a on a great team. And then Dansby Swanson at like five, six. You know, that's not ideal, but. This team also, while I could reorder guys, and I probably would put Say in the 2-3 spot more often, um, move Belly up a little bit maybe, but, you know, this offense just isn't deep enough, you know. There's not a clear leadoff hitter. Talkman did a fine job filling in. He was hot for a couple months. I think Ian Happ could be a good leadoff hitter. You know, one thing that was a little odd is they put him there for a very short stretch, and Ian Happ was very good there, and they never went back to it. Um on a better team, if the Cubs upgrade this roster, if they bring back Bellinger and add another power bat, I'm hearing rumors of trades for Juan Soto or trades for Pete Alonso or Shohei Otani is going to be out there in the free agent market. Just there are going to be potentially trades for other guys. You know, if there's more talent on this roster, all of a sudden now you don't have to have hat batting third. You can bring in a new bat. I'm just going to assume for sake of argument that they bring back Bellinger and add Let's just say Otani, you know, everybody says it's not likely to happen, but you know, for each individual team, it's not likely, but he's going somewhere. You know, you suddenly add whoever, so let's get off Otani, but um, Soto, Otani, Alonzo, somebody else you bring in, that guy can now hit third. Maybe you've got, now that pushes Hap to the leadoff spot, Horner batting second. You've got somebody else batting third. You got Bellinger back at fourth. You got say fifth, or maybe you slide up, uh, you know, got like Juan Soto or whoever second, Bellinger third, say a cleanup. And then you can space things down. Like if you get your lineup full to the point where you've got some pop, you've got somebody in there who's a real threat to hit 35, 40 home runs. And all of a sudden now you can hit Dansby Swanson seven. All of a sudden that's such a deeper lineup and Dansby Swanson looks so much better in the seven hole than the five hole. And that should be the goal. And that is the goal. I mean, Jed consistently talks about I've used this quote a lot but stack good decisions on top of good decisions and if you go back one thing he said after the season was that there is a quote shell of a good team in place and I think he's right I think that kind of shows and he knows there's not enough depth and so David Ross needs more to choose from there needs to be more buffer for injuries that are inevitable and but with the shell you know, you look at this roster, they developed Steele. They traded for Kyle Hendricks. He's been around for a long time, and the Cubs had him in the minor league system for a couple of years before he came up. But, you know, two off seasons ago, they brought in Seiya Suzuki and Marcus Stroman. Uh, 
Last offseason, the big acquisitions were um, Dansby Swanson and Jamison Tyone. I expect they're going to go out and grab more this year. The nice thing about this offseason compared to last year is last year they had so many holes to fill, and they took shots at all of them. But they weren't as concentrated. I'm hoping this year they can bring in a little bit more star power because there are fewer question marks. You've got, I think the big question marks really are depth in the bullpen. We are probably not going to spend a massive amount of money. The Cubs have done a pretty good job finding relievers uh, to turn around relatively cheaply. They have a lot of young arms coming through the system. And just because guys like Luke Little, Little looked really good at the end of the season, but just because some of those guys maybe weren't quite what we wanted them to be this year, like Palencia or Estrada, um, those guys are still seen as very talented arms and they're young and I would expect them to grow. So hopefully you can get some improvement just within. Hopefully you get Brendan Hughes back. Hopefully Keegan Thompson can recover whatever it was he lost in 2023 um, and get back to more of the picture we saw in 2022. There are some starters coming up. You know, Caleb Killian's one who hasn't quite progressed as a starter the way people thought he might, but bullpen was always a potential path for him. Maybe that becomes something he works on and he becomes a valuable arm, you know. So you got to make that bullpen deeper. But you look at, there's some guys they've developed. You know, look around the infield. You've got homegrown Nico Horner, homegrown Ian Happ. Um, they signed Seiya Suzuki. It looks like Pete Crow Armstrong, Alexander Canary are getting pretty close to Major League ready. Maybe one of those guys plays center field. Um, you've got the chance of Bellinger. You can keep him. Third base, you know, is a gap. I think they have a little bit of internal option. They... Jed Hoyer has talked about finding one spot for Christopher Morrell, and that might be the spot. I would want to see him work a lot on third base over the offseason. If they were able to make Nick Madrigal a passable third baseman, I would hope they can do the same with Christopher Morrell, uh, given his overall athleticism and his arm strength. It would certainly be nice to have his potential pass. I mean, he had 26 at-bats in, you know, or 26 at-bats. He had 26 home runs in... You know, let me look at his numbers. He hit 26 homers and 429 plate appearances. You know, if he's there in 107 games, if he's there all season next year, you know, he's still, the strikeout rate's still high at 31%, but he's got that big power. And if, you know, obviously the more power he produces, the more he hits for slug, the little bit more you can tolerate in K percentage. Now he showed some growth there too. His walk rate increased. There were clearly times where he was focused on being um, more selective at the plate, and he had some good at-bats where he had some really good takes and drew a walk in some big spots. So hopefully maybe he's somebody who can fill third base. So the Cubs aren't necessarily going to have to go fill every one of these spots in free agency. They could use another starter, but I assume uh, Marcus Stroman's going to opt into his contract after the second half of injury and and rough go after the all-star break or rough go before the all-star break. Um, Kyle Hendricks has a team option. So I would think the Cubs will pick that up or, or not pick the option up, but potentially sign him to a new contract. So his option would be one more year at $16 million. I could see them coming to terms on maybe a two year deal for a little bit less per year, but getting him more total money. So if, if both of those guys are back, you're probably looking at, you know, Steele, Stroman, Tyone, Hendricks, and, you know, there could be a competition, but probably Jordan Wicks would seem to have the edge up on the fifth spot. But you would have Wicks and Assad 
and Wisniewski, potentially Caleb Killian, Ben Brown. Um, I'm sure there's somebody I'm missing. Com- also competing for that fifth spot. And that's what the Cubs need. I mean, you need to go into every season with 10 potential viable starting pitcher options. And the Cubs showed that. I mean, last year, I think they started 11 guys. Some of that was, you know, kind of the end of the season. Guys were traded out, hurt, shut down, that kind of thing. But this year, competing to the end, you know, they still had to start nine different guys. And that's just the way of the world. You know, there are times where, you know, you need to stick in somebody for an extra day to get everybody some rest, or a guy misses a start, or somebody goes on the IL. You know, there's, you just can't have too much pitching. And so Jed has to make this roster deeper. And I think, but because he only has a couple spots to focus on and, and some of those spots have internal options, I'm not saying he should ignore them and just, you know, plug in Morel at third base, Mervis at first, and PCA in center field and we're good. But because he doesn't have to fill five or six spots, whatever money he's got to spend, and nobody's committing to going over the luxury tax threshold, but that's fine. I mean, that's all negotiation ploy. They don't want the agents to know how much they're going to spend, drive up offers, blah, blah, blah. But the Cubs have shown, Tom Ricketts has shown, when the Cubs are competitive and there's a chance to win, they've almost always gone over the luxury tax threshold, except for post-2020. Again, that's the whole unfortunate, uh, you know, quote, biblical losses comment. But he's shown that he'll carry a payroll if the team's going to win. So the Cubs, well, hopefully, they've got Jason Hayward's money coming off the books. They've got some other guys that will move on. And those other guys have to be filled, so some of that will just be replacement salary. Um, But just Jason Hayward's $23 million. You know, that's a good chunk towards a very good player. We'll talk a lot more about what the Cubs might do, what they should go into, but I just want to talk about that idea of blame today. You know, what comes about it, how we break it down. Um, I would encourage, you know, focus a little bit less on blame, focus more on reasons, and then from those reasons can be blame. You know, if the Cubs are in the same boat next year, the season goes largely the same way. There's a lot of blame to go around. You know, Jed didn't do enough. Ross didn't manage well enough. Players didn't play well enough. And then you have to decide... Where do I have growth potential and move on? I mean, the Cubs had, you, you would do that with players all the time, right? Like the Cubs were very high on Albert Almora until it came to a point where he just wasn't progressing and the Cubs had to move on. It wasn't that anybody hated anybody or were mad or, you know, letting him go out of punishment. It's just, you know, you got to move on and do something different. And the Cubs did not, that's one thing that I will criticize Ross for. You know, he didn't evolve as much during the season as he probably should have. Now, everything I hear from him, I hear from the organization, I hear from the team, I hear from Jed, is that David Ross loves talking about this stuff and is open to hearing other people's ideas and open to change. So I'm hoping that we see some of that next year. But, you know, it's going to be a long off season now. We've already seen the Brewers eliminated from the playoffs and the Marlins who uh, went on a big run to close the season and make the playoffs. They're both out. Um... So we have to watch other people play in the playoffs. It's going to be Dodgers and Dodgers play the Diamondbacks and the Phillies play the Braves. Should be some good series. I wish the Cubs were in that mix or I wish they would have at least had a shot in the first series to be in that mix. But yeah, that's the goal for next year. And that's what I think Jed has talked about a lot since the season ended. You know, he's talked about wishing he didn't 
have as much time in October to focus on improving the team, but that they're going to get right back to work. And so we got a long off season in the coming weeks. We'll talk a lot about um, who the Cubs might pursue in free agency, how much they might spend, what contracts look like. I enjoy that kind of roster breakdown type of episode, but I want to get kind of a season wrap on this one before we go. I'll have some guests coming up. Should be a good off season. I'm hoping we get some good news and have a lot to look forward to in 2024. But for now, this season was what it was. It was a season of missed chances. There's blame to go around, and I think everybody has to wear some of it. And the question is, what do you do from it? You know, blame doesn't always have to be a huge negative. I mean, it's a negative in the moment because something there was a bad outcome, but it can also spur future growth. So I'm hopeful that the front office and the basically top to bottom, from you know Jed Hoyer all the way down to the minor league coaches. You know, kind of reevaluate what happened this season, highlight what went right, highlight what went wrong, and and put heads together and see what they can do to make the stuff that went wrong be better next year. That's how you improve as an organization, and that's how that's how teams work now. That's how the Braves work, and the Dodgers work, and the Rays work, and the Orioles work. I mean, you've got to have that collaborative, single mission. When the Cubs brought in Dustin Kelly last year to be the hitting coach. They had kind of had revolving hitting coaches for like five or six years and maybe even longer than that. And the new thinking is, like they've done with Hadavi and Breslow, let's have a consistent hitting approach throughout the organization. So they brought in Dustin Kelly to kind of overhaul and you know reallocated some of the hitting people to try to have more of a cohesive hitting organization. And hopefully that'll pay off. But just like with the pitching infrastructure, you know, that they brought in Craig Breslow after the 2019 season. And obviously there was 2020, which was kind of paused everything. There was no minor league season, all that stuff. So it's taken a little bit of time to really see that development. But I think, I think we've seen it on the pitching side. I mean, the Cubs had almost no pitching self-grown homegrown pitching come up from 2015 to 2020. And now, I mean, just this year we saw eight, 10 guys and we saw several last year. There were some this year that got hurt and, wound up not getting a chance to come up. But I think we're seeing that in place now. So I, I think we're seeing the results of that. And I want to see if that can also come on the hitting side. But it's gonna it's gonna lag the pitching side a little bit. So let's work let's continue to watch that. Pay attention to the headlines. Expect there's there's not gonna be a whole lot of news about roster stuff. Um unless the unless the Cubs just start doing some 40 man roster cleanup before the World Series is over. Pretty much nothing happens until the World Series ends. Um, five days after the World Series is when guys can officially become free agents. Um, so, you know, things like Stroman picking up his con- contract option or the Cubs deciding on Kyle Hendricks, that's not going to happen until after the World Series. You can't do trades until that point either. I'm pretty sure once you're eliminated, maybe you can, but I don't, I don't think you can. I don't think the Cubs can do any of those transactions really until the World Series ends. And so it's going to be a bit of a holding pattern, self-review, all that kind of stuff. And then we're going to see a flurry of activity. We're going to see, just like last year, the Cubs took a bunch of guys off their 40-man and put them through the DFA process, which puts them on waivers. And that's both an opportunity to lose guys. It's a potential to get guys through, assign them back to Iowa, still have them off the 40-man. The Cubs did that with like Mark Leiter last year. Um, he wasn't claimed, so the Cubs were able to put him back in Iowa, and he became a big piece this year. But it's also a chance to watch everybody else's uh, activities. So see what guys other people put on the waiver wire. Then they're going to have the 
the rule five decisions. And I haven't gotten into that yet, but we'll get into that in the coming weeks. Maybe I'll get Greg Huss back on and talk, talk about those options like I did last year. And so there'll be a lot of decisions coming up, fine tuning of the roster, but look for the Cubs to kind of consistently have one or two open 40 man spots, which will allow them to kind of go grab a guy if they, if they see someone they think is worthwhile, like Julia Merriweather last year. So there's gonna be a lot to come, a lot of activity for now, you know, reflect on the season. Hopefully at this point, I still see it as a positive season. I mean, this season, it was a bad finish. It didn't leave the best taste in my mouth, but it was a season where a lot of people didn't think the Cubs were going to make a play, make the playoffs, and they didn't. And they got a lot closer. So is that a win? No, I kind of agree with you know Tom and Jed who have said you know we didn't meet our goals, so the season can't be a success. But it's not a failure either. So it's a little bit of both. It's somewhere in the middle, and it's life is full of lessons, and the season had a lot of them. Thank you for listening today. If you like this episode, please drop a rating or a review wherever it is you get your podcasts. And share the episode with a friend. Just a few seconds gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter or X, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus. And check out the Patreon page, CubsPSPlus.Patreon.com, to help support the show and keep it ad-free. As always, the music for this podcast is from Prospect Park West by Jerry McCoy. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!